everybody, and thanks for listening to another episode of the Business Talks podcast. Today, my guest is Phil Dana. He is the head HR of Dendrion, and as we'll see going forward, uh, a man of uh, many talents and a lot of experience. And so I'm really excited to introduce you, Phil, and also just to kind of dig into your personal experience and really just what you have to say, especially at a time like this. Uh, and for those of you that are listening to this later on in the future, we're kind of right in the middle of, uh, what is it, four months of the pandemic? Is it longer than that? That, that most businesses have been closed or remote. Um, and so we're right in the thick of a very interesting time in American history. And so without further ado, Phil, thanks for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thanks, Matt. Appreciate it. Uh, you said it, 2020, right? Like, what will we be saying about this year, Yeah, 10 years from now? I think yeah. we'll be uh, remembering it for sure. Yeah. And I think it, it, it definitely is true that, I, at least for me, 2020 was like the year for me. I was like, man, I've got all my goals set up. I've got everything figured out. Like, this is the year to really, like, crush it, right? And really make, make a great life for yourself and, and enjoy Southern California. You know, all of those things. I was extremely positive about this year. Um, and that obviously changed. Uh, I'm still positive in some regards, but you know, you can't, there's no way you can be as positive at the beginning of 2020 as you can be currently in the middle of 2020. I think that's probably true across the board right now. So, so, uh, with that being said, you know, Phil, tell, tell everybody who's listening to business talks, uh, a little bit about yourself, you know, where you came from, how you are, how you got where you are, and maybe, you know, dive into some of your experience and, and, and really give us a picture of who is Phil, right? Yeah, so I grew up in a military family. I uh, was raised in Asia, Philippines, Japan, Singapore. During the summers, would go home to where I was born in Oak Harbor, Washington. Um, I'm a direct descendant of Richard Henry Dana of Dana Point. Um, oh, cool. By no coincidence, most of the men in my family, uh, over 20, have been sailors and Marines. So I'm a West Coast baby and love the ocean. Um, I'm an Irishman who grew up in Asia and then in a log cabin with no electricity in North Idaho when my dad retired from the military. So my love of people certainly comes through. I think that's how I found, stumbled my way into human resources. Uh, I served in the military, enlisted, and an officer. I'm a graduate of Naval Academy, so I'm a big Navy football fan. Uh, also love my Seahawks, go Hawks. <laughs> and, um, you know, after the military, been in HR for 15, 16 years. Uh, eight different companies, um, seven different industries, and I'm currently at Dendrion, which is a wildly exciting company out of Seal Beach, California. Yeah. And uh, I, I know we want to talk about, you know, capitalizing your career during this pandemic. Obviously, some of the advice you might give is specific to HR, but really, as I was impressed looking over your LinkedIn, even the second time right before the interview, I, I was kind of cruising over your LinkedIn and like, I mean, you're, you're very, you've had a lot of publications, you're on kind of the Forbes HR Council. Uh, how would someone who's in HR, who's very passionate about HR, not just trying to network or get their name out there, but really loves the field of human resources and the work that, that you guys do on a regular basis. I, I guess kind of branching off that first question we're going to address, you know, how could someone who's in HR, you know, maybe been in for a couple of years, really I hate to say make a name for themselves, but really carve out a path for themselves within HR as maybe a thought leader, as well as just, you know, working within your normal organizational roles. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I think there's three answers to that. One is be different. Um, HR is such a wide uh, range of skills, personalities, yeah. and focuses, just like IT or, or I guess many other uh, fields of study, but HR is pretty broad. And depending on the company, the size of the company, and the culture of the company, it can mean many, many different things. So really, 
pick one of those and be really dang good at it so that others start to get to know you and go to you for advice. I think that's pretty key in, in whatever craft you're doing. Become a black belt. Um, <laughs> the second is uh, be a put the human back into HR. I mean, I've met so many HR folks over the years that are just absolute robots, just corporate weenies that say all the right things, dress perfect, and just aren't really human. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, put, put the human back into HR and, and be a real person. You know, it's okay if you love scotch to talk about it at work. It's okay. It, it'll be fine. <laughs> Everybody will be okay. Um, and then, you know, and then, and then third is, is, you know, hopefully you get to align your career to things that matter. Um, maybe things that have happened to you throughout your career, your life to work for a company or an organization that aligns to those, you know, I hate, I hate to be too cheesy, but you know, the Simon Sinek start with your why it's uh, you know, HR can be a consuming job. It's 24 seven. You, you don't really get to turn the phone off. <laughs> and if, uh, if you're doing it in an org that uh, means something more to you than just a job, um, that'll make a huge difference. Yeah. Yeah. And I think even just tying into that last bit there that you said, I mean, there's so many things that I love about that and that I think we can unpack, but that last bit that you said, you know, finding an organization that aligns with kind of your goals or your purpose, you know, you're a Dendrion and they do immunotherapy for cancer. And I know that is so, you know, <laughs> high level surface level to even say that uh, there's so much I'm sure to that, that you could probably unpack and that those at your org could, could pick apart and, and explain better. But, you know, how does that tie into purpose for you? And then even if you want to expand a little bit and give some props to your current organization as well on, on what they're doing in that space. Yeah, never just one simple answer. One, one thing is I, I grew up as a dumb kid in North Idaho in the, in the dirts and in the, in the trees. Um, not exactly, you know, where fortune corporate executives come from. Um, <laughs> and then, and then serving in the military. And so I, I actually now thrive off of being the dumb kid in the room. Uh, working in industries or companies where it's just a ton of PhDs and brilliant human beings, but uh, they, they, they need the 300-pound Irishman that cares about people to help them <laughs> achieve their goals. They might be brilliant, but they maybe they can't tie their shoes or lead uh, people. So uh, we, if we get along and, and pair, uh, that, that's going to be a, a powerful uh, duo. Um, and, and so, you know, the other, the other piece of unpacking uh, my why is, you know, later in life, my father was diagnosed with a solid state liver tumor. Mm. Dendrion is prostate cancer, but very similar in nature in the fact that, you know, a lot of innovative oncology products out in the space, University of Washington and Baylor really struggled to get him surgeries there that he badly needed. So I looked at, uh, you know, some, some similar to immunotherapy and ended up extending his life by four years. And in that time frame, he saw three of my adopted younger sisters finish school. One's now research and development at Seattle Genetics trying to cure cancer. Mm. The other is a charge nurse at Sacred Heart Hospital in Spokane. So for us, watching my father go through uh, the big C, uh, horrible, horrible journey. Yeah. Um, but, you know, get to see my sisters hit those major points in their life. Uh, now it's clear, you know, later in life, you can make some pretty big decisions on where you want to work based on uh, what's really important to you. It might not be the highest paid, might not be the most glorious. You know, when I worked at Amazon, everybody kind of said, oh, that's cool. You work at Amazon. Yeah, but now I'm working at a company that fights cancer. And, you know, in the grand scheme of things, that's, <laughs> that's more, more cool to me. Yeah, yeah. 
And I think, so I remember, and I think I've even mentioned this on the podcast multiple times talking with people, but I know there. I recently saw a poll, and I think it's probably been out for a while, of millennials polled and, and them being more concerned with the organization they work for and the mission, the, the world mission behind what they do um, than the salary itself. And I think some of that compared to baby boomers is true, but I also think that nowadays it's more culturally acceptable to be about a mission versus being about money, right? Like our our generation, the millennial generation is, is kind of expanded to that, to that level of understanding that it's not all about the money. And I mean, even people I associate with and the people that I refer business to as a consultant um, are not the guys that are concerned about money. If you come to me and you're like, hey, refer me to your client and I'll give you this much money, I won't take it because that's not the reason behind what I do, right? And so I see that in my own self. How, how much do you see that in the millennial population or kind of that younger population, I guess you could say? Versus just, I mean, baby boomers, everyone in between. I, I think I think everybody's concerned about that. I, I think maybe there, some of it has to do with your generational, you know, category. But I, I think finding your why within your organization is extremely important for any person nowadays in the workforce. Yeah, I think it transcends generations now, whether you're millennial or Gen Xer. I think a lot, the world has changed uh, technology has certainly changed it. Social media, the media of how, you know, the narrative that's out there mm-hmm. certainly changes it. You know, um, I think when I was a kid, uh, it was totally cool working for, you know, tobacco companies and, um, you know, the big, big industrials that, you know, were, were burning carbon in the air. And now if you're, you're working there and somebody says, well, what do you do? You, you're probably pretty creative in your answer. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> It certainly, it certainly changed over the years. Um, but, but I'll tell you just, you know, personally, um, you know, we all know that we spend more hours at work than we do with our own families and our own, own lives. And so, you know, I'm a big believer in the Jeff Bezos type of, you know, answer what, what's quality of life mean to you. It's where your job is a lifestyle and you can bring your job home and bring your home to your job mm-hmm. and be your whole self and best self. That's, that's kind of my definition. So, um, it makes a big difference when all those hours and all that energy is going yeah. into something that's meaningful. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I totally agree. And, and before we get into kind of that first topic, I do want to go back and hit something else that you said. And, and this is just someone who works with, you know, HR on a regular basis saying this, and I, I wholeheartedly agree with it. You know, you said it's okay to talk to people about like, if you like scotch, it's okay as the HR person to talk to people about scotch, right? And I think so. It, there's so much in that that we could probably spend a whole podcast talking about that. Um, but really, I think what's behind that is, is you know, so often, especially I would say, you know, and you could you could attest to this. Maybe you know, ten years ago in HR, especially, you're really like the word police, right? And you're the you're the kosher police, and you you have to make sure that everybody is, is when you're at work, you're at work, right? And you can't really bring that home to work and work to home, as you talked about. It tends to just be this kind of um, rigid, uh, very almost uptight persona that can sometimes be seen with an organization still within HR. And I think that when you as the HR guy come in and you're talking about your weekend, you had scotch, smoked a cigar, had a good time, and you, you bring the, the, lighty, the light kind of atmosphere to the room. Um, first of all, for the execs that you know, tend to be very rigid and uptight, but also just the employees in, as a whole, I mean, I feel like if HR loosens up, then the entire organization can loosen up because usually they're the ones that are worried about, you know, a lot of the compliance issues and, and employee to employee relations. How, how much am I right there? Is there anything you would add to that? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, I, it might be difficult to see on the on the camera, but I'm a 300 pound Irishman covered in tattoos. So, you know, when I when I wear my short sleeve shirts at work and uh, walk into a room, it's kind of hard to miss me. <laughs> Even if you're not looking at me, you could probably feel feel that I just entered the room. Um, but you know, you hit it. Work should be fun. Work should not be easy. Work shouldn't be, you know, mm-hmm. lazy. I didn't say that at all. Uh, but work could certainly be fun even when you're getting crushed and, and you're burning the midnight oil to, to smash a project or respond to a, a customer or a patient in our case. Um, but it doesn't mean, you know, you, you have to be a jerk. It doesn't mean you have to be, you know, as you said, said the word police. You know, uh, I think the days of being in the office from eight to five, no matter what, are over. And, and, and if you're a leader or a company that has that, you're, you're losing, you're not, you're not attracting or or keeping the the best talent at all. Uh, I think the days of the three page dress codes are long gone. You know, how about a two word dress, dress respectfully, period. (laughs) Wear clothes. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So flexibility, you know, the best, highest performing companies that I've been a part of, and, and we're talking some, some giants you know, would roll a keg out on a Friday afternoon when, when the CEO was in town, Yeah, uh, they had a company band, you know, they put on t-shirts and went out in the community and helped rebuild a house together as a team, yeah. you know? Um, and so, you know, everybody just lighten up, make a difference and, and have fun and, uh, you'll sure enjoy your job more. Yeah. Right. And again, this just keeps bringing up more questions I want to ask about this topic. Um, you know, I remember doing a podcast with an HR gal. You can go and listen. Her name's JC. I think she was maybe episode three or four when I first started this. And we are in Santa Monica in a bank, in the a repurposed bank for this. Uh, I, I mean, it wasn't even like the coolest, sexiest job role, if you will. Like it wasn't the coolest company to work for, but just a, a great atmosphere across the board from what I could tell and from what she said. Uh, and, and you literally go into the vault. That's where the conference room is. And uh, we were running the podcast and, you know, I brought all my equipment there, lugged it up the stairs, drove all the way to Santa Monica to do this podcast with her. She's a great friend of mine already. I was like, this is going to be awesome. We're in this vault inside of this repurposed bank that's now uh, basically like a storage company, if you will. And uh, we're talking and she's talking about how great her company is and whatnot. And every now and then you hear in the podcast like this buzzing noise and there was a, a keg in the conference room inside this vault they would kick on the refrigeration unit every maybe 10, 15 minutes to keep everything cold. And so, you know, there is that atmosphere of like make work a little more lighthearted um, and a little more fun to show up at and you're going to get more productivity from your organization. I, I think that's true. You got it. Yeah, yeah it's trust. It's trust. Uh, many companies, there was a CB Richard Ellis study where they, you know, interviewed the CFOs and CEOs of all of their companies, which are thousands, right? And and uh, one of the interview questions was about, um, you know, uh, alcohol uh, at work, the liability, the insurance, blah, blah, blah. And the reality is the consumption rate uh, is very, very little. You know, uh, the usage rate, very little, even in companies that literally have it on tap and you can just grab it, very little usage rate. And then they interviewed the employees. And what came out of that study was it's, it's about trust. It's cool. It's fun to talk about. My work has this. But the reality is it's about trust and, and then, you know, increased engagement. And that's kind of the, the foundations of a great place to work. Certification is, you know, trust plus engagement equals high performance. Um, you know, and I think that's the, the new world 
of, uh, of work cultures is create those ingredients in order to increase mm-hmm. performance. It's no longer a, an assembly line or the rigid structure of, of uh, some of the companies that our fathers worked at. Yeah. Yeah. No, I definitely see the shift and I think it'll, it'll be really interesting, obviously, once and if we ever go back to, you know, going into the office on a regular basis. And obviously every company is going to approach it differently and some may stay completely remote. Some will go fully back to work, sometimes dependent on the type of work that they do. Um, yep. it's, I think it's gonna be really interesting just to see how all of this plays out in, in the long term in the next couple of years when we look back and we see how much this all of a sudden immediately changed what seemed to already be kind of slowly climbing in that direction, right? Doing more remote work, that being a highly pulled um, thing of importance to employees. Now it's, you know, we've, we've all beta tested it in a sense. And so it'll be yep. interesting to yeah, see. Yeah, I know at Dendrion, so I just got my, my new swag box today. So this is my new 10-year Provenge. That's our product for prostate cancer. T-shirts, um, a handwritten card from our CEO, um, a couple of really nice polo shirts that you would actually wear out in town. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, sh- shipping things out to our employees, doing virtual happy hours. Um, I know my team does a bi-weekly. We've done Jeopardy, Bingo, Scavenger Hunts, um, you know, all kinds of show your pet off kind of moments. And so that's the other interesting thing that I see happening right now. And I'm sure you've experienced it too, where it's now okay if your kid walks behind you when you're <laughs> in a meeting, because it's, because it's going to happen. And, yeah. but whereas, you know, even a year or two ago, it'd be like, okay, I got to talk to you about this. You know, you, you need to set a professional environment. Even at, now it's like, it's totally <laughs> cool. Like, you know, yeah. yesterday I was, I was in a serious meeting and, and this little boy walks in and I didn't know his name. And I'm like, Hey, stop. What's your name? And so I started talking to him and, you know, it, the mother is now so appreciative of that yeah. little moment that we had. So, uh, yeah, things are definitely changing because of COVID. And I think, I think in some cases for, for the better, mm-hmm. um, the use of technology, uh, it, you know, the ability to uh, share documents and uh, get a higher level of responsiveness. We uh, at Dendrion definitely have seen an uptick in production project production but to also be candid i do miss the, t- the extra touch points the uh, mm-hmm. in between meetings sticking your head in the office talking about you know things that aren't work wise that's that, that's still harder and yeah. i don't think we've quite solved for that yet yeah so so moving on then I, I really would like to get your take on this because of your career uh that first kind of topic that we discussed prior of just really capitalizing on your career even during a pandemic you know any I mean, I, you see it all over LinkedIn. I know I do too with the, the little green circle going around. Uh, it basically just yeah, letting people wow. know by your picture, hey, I am out of work. And these are people that are, I mean, absolutely amazing people at what they do. Um, and yet just they were in that type of organization that had to lay off or had to furlough. Um, you know, yeah. I mean, this, there's no better time to give good advice on capitalizing a good career than now. So you know, anything you say, I'm sure is going to affect someone in a positive way. So I, I feel free to, to take away with that question and, and give us your, your thoughts. Yeah. I mean, first and foremost, I, yeah, I've learned some lessons along the way. My first company was a fortune company, you know, $18 billion plus, but all of its eggs were in one basket. It was a domestic uh, home builder uh, out of Dallas, Texas. And that was my first gig after the military. So I wasn't really business savvy yet. And uh, we ended up in a housing bubble burst and we ended up divesting the company and, and selling it off. And then, you know, I had to, you know, be a part of the HR team that flew around and shut entire divisions down. 
Yeah. It, it was horrible. Absolutely horrible experience, but very educational for me being early in my career and the fact like, okay, I'm never going to go to a company that's uh, U.S. domestic only and has all of its eggs in one basket unless there's things in the works uh, to expand it. And so um, I, got, I started getting savvier about the political economy ties. And so here we are, an election year uh, with a pandemic. And certainly some folks have learned lessons the hard way of how something like that can impact their company. Mm-hmm. So you start to look at cash flow, EBITDA, you know, really start studying uh, the debt if your company's carrying debt or not. Because with strong cash flow, which which I'm blessed to be a part of an organization that has that with no debt, uh, you can survive things like this. It might not be, you know, it's not glorious. It's not like we're on a cruise ship. No, we're still on a life raft, eating, eating rations. But, uh, you know, so far, everybody's still in the life raft. And yeah. uh, so that's that's one thing that I would encourage folks to do is, you know, Picking a career is like picking a spouse. Uh, very few people have success, uh, you know, with a crazy night in Vegas and a trip to the Little White Chapel. Um, and so why would you not put that depth of research and understanding mm. into the political economic ties of your industry and where that company sits and how will they weather a storm? Because if you've been around for 20 years in corporate America, we've seen four massive storms, right? Oh, one, oh, eight the pandemic, and then the one that's coming uh, when the elasticity of the economy snaps back. So right now you want to look at companies that are global, that are diverse, that have pipeline of product, have pipeline of investment, and and or a really super solid core uh, without debt, and you can grow and bolt on through inorganic, so acquisition or partnerships or whatnot. And so you know, those, those are far more important now than they were a few years ago. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I think that's, that's solid advice. My thought goes to what about that person on LinkedIn who has the, you know, I think it's the green circle around their logo. They're just yeah. looking for a yeah. job, just looking to pay bills. Yeah. I, I mean, I know you did a lot of time specifically in talent acquisition, you know, any basic yeah. tips even for those that are just listening to this because they literally have the time because they don't, they don't have a job right now, you know. I know that that's solid advice and, and a lot of that applies to them, but is there anything else specific to that persona that, that you can think of? Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, even before this happened, 82% of the job market was not posted. 82. Uh, only one in 33 candidates that click apply even get reviewed, let alone get pulled out of the stack. And so, you know, just the fact that we're talking about LinkedIn, uh, you can't just click apply and expect to be picked up and you can't just reach out to the recruiter who's sitting on all those recs in their own system and processes and expect them to respond favorably. Um, in today's world, you know, LinkedIn gives us an advantage in building a quick accelerated relationship. And so your LinkedIn profile should not be your resume, shouldn't be boring, shouldn't be dull, shouldn't be uh, minimalistic. It should tell your story, your why, who you really are, what you're really good at, um, should open kimono, you know, what, what are you passionate about? What's your background? And when you reach out to folks, it shouldn't be, uh, I just clicked apply on your job. Can you help me? Can you help me? It should be, uh, I see your company fights prostate cancer. Uh, my uncle is fighting prostate cancer and I, I align to your mission and vision. That's going to get, you know, everybody's attention a lot faster than 
the generic um, note to the recruiter saying, I just applied to one year jobs. It's, you know, uh, probably a thousand times better ROI on that kind of message. Mm-hmm. Um, the other is, you know, LinkedIn, if you put an hour or two into it, I, I see a lot of those green circles. And, and you know, unfortunately, when I look at them, uh, quite a few of them, uh, they haven't put any time in their profile at all. Mm-hmm. And so uh, if you're on the market and you've got one of those green circles, uh, I, I implore you and encourage you to put, put more than 30 minutes into your profile. Because mm-hmm. it is far more important than a resume nowadays. That's yeah. just how the world really works. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. I think it gives more of an insight into the person, right? That they're even considering calling back or adding to the list. And so I think that's extremely important. I think that also just even playing to the algorithm of LinkedIn, you know, the more you are involved in LinkedIn, the more people are going to see you. And, and that can only benefit uh, the situation. I know I've referred, you know, some friends and some people that I've known and even a few that I've seen post and, and I click on their, their LinkedIn and they're very well known and kind of well accustomed to what they're doing. You can see they're a passionate person and I'll connect them with somebody. Hey, you need to talk to this person. You need to talk to this person. Yeah. And, and just in hopes that I'm starting something, you know, and, and how oftentimes I honestly don't hear back from them. So I don't know if I did or not, um, which is probably another best yeah. practice to do uh, for those of you listening. Uh, but, you know, at, at the end of the day, it's, it's, I, I think it's extremely important. I think that's sound advice. I think that just posting the, the little green logo around your face is not necessarily going to immediately do anything other than prompt them to look at your profile. Right. Um, and I think all of us that are fortunate enough to still have a job or even don't, but have a, a deep network of people that we can call to for others. You know, if, if we're looking, we're much more likely to be looking to help those people. Um, if we can get a good picture of who they are based on their LinkedIn. Right. And it doesn't mean they have to put a bunch of fake experience or, you know, fake skill sets or any of that, but just a genuine person. If, if I can learn more about you, and say, wow, I really like this person. I think they have great work ethic based on, you know, this post they commented on or, or who they follow or whatever it is. I'm much more likely to say, hey, John, you need to talk to this person. And, and usually I'll connect them on LinkedIn so they can see each other's profiles right away um, through a message. So I think that's solid advice. Yeah, and to be a little provocative while you're talking, um, and this might cause some friction, but it's okay. It's a podcast. I'm not writing a white paper to be published here. <laughs> Having the green circle around your profile might not be helping. Yeah. You know, there's psychology, especially from the HR front, that if you're passive and I find you and I want you, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put effort into it. If you're active and you're on the market, yes, you've got a story because of COVID, but it's probably better if that story comes out in the final interview and not the initial touch or what your brand is. You don't want to okay. be approached or connected because you're a charity case yes i feel bad for those folks i really do and and who knows you know no guarantee i won't be one but the reality is psychology of recruiting you 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 don't you don't want to that to be your leading brand Mm -hmm. Uh, you want to be branded as a black belt in your craft and somebody that i really want to hire right i'd put more effort into that yeah yeah no that's that's good insight as well um, so with that being said, because we do have somewhat limited time, I keep looking at my clock and I'm like, man, we could go on for this just for an hour, but there were other things that I thought were really interesting that we wanted to talk about. And I know that you've been, uh, pretty influential, I would say in the last couple of months around the topic of work, workplace violence. And, uh, you, you kind of have a perspective on that. That's something I wonder, and I honestly don't know that much about, like, 
how it not only just workplace violence as a topic that usually HR is, is talking about and, and interested in, but, but even now, if I'm working from home, you know, and those, uh, what does workplace violence look like in the current pandemic and for those companies that will continue to be almost completely or completely remote, um, as well as just workplace violence as a whole? Yeah, it's an elephant in the room, to be honest. You know, as an HR leader, you, you know, your job is to create an environment where folks can bring their best self and whole self to work and align their strengths to the work at hand in order to produce something. Um, but you, in that charge, you want the environment to be safe. And so, yeah, whether you're working from home now more uh, or, or when you return to work, which is going to be a pressure point, it's change, it's stress. Um, you know, there's so much, we're, we're a pressure cooker right now. I mean, just look at our country, very divisive. The, mm -hmm. I can't even look at my social media walls anymore to see all the, the friction, the hate, the stress. It's not, it's not constructive. There's a lot too much destructive. And so when you see like attorneys getting arrested for torching police cars and all this other stuff that's going on in our country, those, those are your coworkers. You know, mm -hmm. those are your neighbors. Those are your friends and family. Uh, very few people are untouched uh, by what's going on in our country right now. And yeah. with the election coming up, I, unfortunately, I just don't see it, uh, you know, suddenly being over next week. I think we're, yeah. we're in this just like the pandemic. I don't think the pandemic's going to suddenly go away in November when the first pharmaceutical company releases the first release of the vaccine. We won't even know if it's its efficacy rate for about a year. Uh, unfortunately, that's the truth. So this is a hot topic, violence in the workplace. And everyone thinks violence is the crazy shooter that comes in, um, which it certainly could be, but it could be so much more. It could be somebody who's you know, uh, now in an abusive relationship at home because that person got laid off uh, and is taking it out on the spouse. It could be uh, you know, the kids uh, in the autism spectrum are now at home and not being protected by the IEP and special special ed programs at the public school system, which are normally really good. Now they're at yeah. home and uh, the parents trying to work via WebEx or Zoom. And, uh, you know, and the kid is literally going nuts in the house. And so that's creating a lot of stress and pressure. And so um, it's a big topic. I'm, I'm fortunate enough, I'm a, you know, full transparency, I'm a board member of Vigilance Risk, led by Ty Smith, former Navy SEAL. And, uh, you know, his business and that, that whole violence in the workplace is, is uh, it, it's an important, important aspect of, uh, of work and quality of life. And certainly, uh, certainly one that bears a lot more effort. It's not really a hot topic or a leading keynote at HR conferences yet, but I think it should be. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost as if it shouldn't be, we almost need to change the title slightly from workplace violence to like work, workplace pressure. I mean, it's, it's yeah. pressure in so many ways. I mean, I know for me personally, I, the only thing I'm on is LinkedIn and even then you still can't avoid just some, you know, yeah very negative things going on. Right. Fortunately, I follow a lot of people that are problem solvers, I guess you could say. So a lot of other benefits advisors in the industry. So they're just talking about what's wrong and how we're going to fix it. And so I don't see too right. much, but I, I mean, I don't go on Facebook. I avoid almost everything at all costs right now because I'll just come to my desk, come to work, if you will, uh, in a completely different mood. Uh, and it's, it's definitely the worst that I've ever seen just in social media and what it can do to a work population. And that's just one portion of it. I mean, I, you know, I was talking to an HR 
professional a couple weeks ago and or probably about a week and a half ago and you know she was saying that you know there's some political divide within their organization so you can imagine what you're seeing on facebook and the political divide and the anger and tension is now erupting within an organization via slack and other avenues like that and they had actually cr created that dialogue hoping to bring together in some ways and instead instead what it did is is seems to be pulling apart the organization uh mm -hmm. from the roots and so it's it's just a very difficult time um I, I would say especially for hr i mean let alone you know i was talking to hr people i had clients who were in hr who were going through that okay how do we who do we furlough how do we get you know do we get the ppp loan before there was really that much knowledge around what it was going to look like um how do i organize this i mean some of these people were on paper for a lot of things still and so they they don't even have like a an hris system to help them in that or or they never bought that module for the HRIS system because they didn't really need it, right? Everybody works here. We don't need those kinds of, you know, kind of more remote friendly modules because we don't do that. And so, I mean, you, not only at the beginning of this do I see HR just being dumped with all of this responsibility of, okay, now take all our workforce or most of our workforce remote. But then after you get to that, you have a, a political hotbed going on simultaneously with really worried employees, some of which are furloughed. And you don't feel like calling or reaching out to them to let them know what's going on because it's just depressing. But at the same time, they're at home stewing, wondering if they're coming back, you know, and, and trying to decide, do I go on the job market and just try and get another job, even though I love working here? I mean, there's just so much. And a lot of that boils back up to HR. And so that, let alone the fact that those that have stayed, if you were lucky enough to go remote, those that have stayed are experiencing situations that they've never had to experience simultaneously with going to work, right? I mean, you could leave, if you have problems at home, you could leave those problems at home. You could even mute your cell phone if you had to, right? To go to work, to be able to focus on work. And, you know, I know even for me, I mean, I have two young boys, now three, one three-month-old and a five and an eight-year-old. I mean, for me, like I would get excited going to work. I'm like, this is great. I get to talk to human beings and, you know, I, I don't have to do any meeting in my office worried about my eight-year-old running by in his underwear on a Zoom meeting. You know, like there were just things that you never had to worry about. And that's just a limited amount of stress for me compared to what I'm sure so many that are lucky enough to be employed, you know, during this time are still dealing with so many issues like that on a regular basis. I mean, I've had conversation after conversation with, with peers that, that have, have, are just going through really difficult times. So how in HR can you best, and I, I don't think there's a perfect answer necessarily, but how can you best relieve that pressure? Is there anything you've seen in practices being done right now, anything you've done at Dendrion or, or elsewhere in some of your other influences that, that how can you relieve that pressure as best you can within HR? What, what's kind of your philosophy on that? Yeah, you know, I think HR and executive leaders of an organization need to put more more effort and time into uh, active listening sessions. So maybe previously it, your one-on-ones or your video calls literally just got into work. And so one of the things that we've been doing at Dendrion is really pushing and rewarding uh, conversations that are like, how are you doing? How, you know, how are your kids? Because childcare is a huge issue right now, right? It's a big mm -hmm. stressor. Um, you know, surveys, engagement surveys out to the org on, on these hot topics like childcare um, and just be listening. So, you know, you might not be able to solve everything. And as an employer, it's candidly not always your responsibility to do it, but just to be listening and be listening with a, a full heart and empathy, I think is, is definitely a valuable skill set right now mm -hmm. um, to, to dedicate time over communicating too. 
you know, don't go four weeks without uh, telling the org, you know, when your return turn to site or return to work plan is going to kick in or, you know, um, you know, changes in sick policy or any of that kind of stuff. Uh, you should be over communicating, yeah. uh, which I know at, at my company, we're doing a lot, a lot. There's a lot of efforts. We meet Monday, Wednesday and Friday morning as a leadership team to focus on just COVID as an example. Um, training. This is a great time to look at innovative and different training, you know, uh, how to be an active listener, um, leading with empathy, um, how to do, you know, great one-on-one -on -one conversations, um, diversity and inclusion training, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of good cheap um, materials out there to load into your learning management system or to bring in experts. Uh, you know, it's worth a few extra dollars right now um, that will reduce the pressure um, and, and reduce the, the risk of potentially more expensive things in the future. So it's worth spending a little money on these topics right now for sure. And, and then last but not least is mod role model. Like as, as in HR and as a leader, if you're walking around all stressed and kicking your trash can and they hear it in your office, um, that's going to trickle, trickle down. And so, yeah. you know, you have to put extra effort into yourself whether it's working out, using headspace and calm at night, journaling, all those types of tricks, so that you're showing up your best self at work, uh, that, that is 10 times important now than it's ever been. And so mm -hmm. you really have to walk around the office in, in your best, in your best uh, you know, set of values and, and showing everybody that you're good and you're confident um, and you're engaged that's going to have a huge impact on the rest of the organization. If you're, a, if you're really a true leader. Yeah. So, so really, and, and this isn't in a negative way, it sounds like a lot of the things, if not almost all the advice you gave is, is what HR has been talking about as long as I've been involved and seen HR posts, right? You didn't really mention anything new and that's not bad, but you didn't mention no. anything new. These are things that HR has talked about and specialized in and done well for years. It's just, now you get to do what you've practiced for so long under extra tension, right? And, and I think that's true. Yeah. I think me as an employee, if, if HR is walking around, you know, just steam coming out their ears, looking stressed, for me, the first thing is, is like, she probably just got another email. You got to cut another hundred people and my name's on that list. You know, I mean, that's what, <laughs> that's what I'm thinking as an employee. If, if HR is really stressed and not able to laugh a little bit, you know, you don't have to go around and be fake positive or, you know, go to Tony Robbins yeah. on anybody, right? But uh, you, you also yeah. don't want to, you know, you want to be, as you said, empath empathetic. You want to have empathy for the employees, talk to them with empathy, but don't let that empathy be, don't, don't let that empathy almost mirror their level of negativity. So if they're, you know, in this level of just like, you know, they, and you come with empathy, you don't really want to come down to where they're at and, and just mole in the, the difficulties with them, right? You want to you want to try and bring them up a little bit, empathize, but also make sure that you're lifting them up is is kind of what you're saying. And using all the tools that that HR has talked about for for years, I would say at least, um, to your advantage. Yeah, I just hosted an all hands on Monday, and before uh, we do our all hands, uh, we we usually send a survey out, a little survey monkey, to say what are the questions or the topics you'd like us to address. And then we'll open it to Q&A at the end. And of course, given, you know, everything that's going on, even with our company is, you know, are there going to be layoffs? Are there going to be layoffs? Mm -hmm. And, you know, there, there's many different approaches HR or, or a senior leader of an organization could take to that question right now. And 
I'll tell you one, one thing that would make it worse and something that you just said made me think of this is to avoid it is to softball it yeah. is to, you know, not, not respond to that and say, well, you know, that's, a, we're, we're just going to not talk <laughs> about that topic because Sweep it's a little it too scary. Heck, yeah. Now, now's the time as a leader, you, you know, upfront, transparent, authentic, you know, respond to it like, hey, you know, yeah, it's on everybody's mind. I appreciate that. And it would be irresponsible of me to guarantee that we're not because we still have the rest of the year to go. And it, but I will also say that today I, I do not have a list today on my desk and we still have good cash flow. We're still serving our patients with cancer and just, you know, remind everybody why, why we're here and why we're still working so hard. Um you know, you have to shape your communication maybe a little differently or not. To your point, these are the things that HR has been talking about for quite a while. But you, I think most of us are putting a little extra effort into it for sure. Yeah. So you mentioned, you know, uh, and, and the topic of discussion for the last five, 10 minutes has been, you know, you as HR taking that leadership, you know, empathizing, but really maintaining some level of positivity and making sure that you are coming to work as your best self, as you said. And I know when we were talking, you know, about what we were going to talk about on the podcast, you mentioned going to a military retirement. And I apologize, that's probably not even the right term. Um, so you can correct me there. And then maybe you could tie in, because I really do think they tie together that conversation of, you know, why that was so kind of eye-opening for you or just refreshing, I think is probably the term for you, you know, going to that retirement and how that maybe ties in with, you know, HR coming with their best self or just negate the question altogether if it's not a good tie-in at all. <laughs> No, I think it's good because, you know, there's many different outlets for people with so much stress going on in the world to recenter. Let's mm -hmm. just call it recentering. Whether you're religious, whether you're an athlete, uh, or in my case, a veteran, um, you know, I, I, I work hard. I'm a corporate guy and uh, I, I burned the midnight oil and I had an opportunity to go to uh, a classmate and friends, uh, change of command and retirement ceremony as he was turning over. Uh, the Marine Special Forces Command here at Camp Pendleton, and uh, you know, just to to go on to what they what we call the grinder, um, and see you know the American flags, all the Marines in uniforms looking their best, the gear, the equipment that they had laid out for the guests, um, the traditions, uh, the, the you know national anthem, the monument with the names of those who have given the ultimate sacrifice, um, you know him himself, you know seven commands. Uh, more deployments than most, and a 22-year successful marriage and two beautiful kids. Um, and they're all coming to my house uh, tomorrow. Um, I mean, wow, I left that day with enough juice uh, to be good through the rest of this pandemic. Because when I think about what everyone else has going, going on, what, you know, uh, come out of our own little space, our own little microcosm, and think about everything in the world, uh, think about you know, we have first world problems. Yes, I'm not making light of COVID or, you know, everything that everybody has something going on right now, for sure. But we're still the United States. We still have an amazing country. Uh, don't listen to the media. There's so many amazing things going on every day. And man, that Friday, uh, that was good medicine. So, mm -hmm. you know, I don't know how, it, how everybody uh, gets a little taste of that medicine. I wish I could bottle it up and share it. But uh, I think we, we need to remind ourselves and each other that uh, at, at the end of the day, you look around and uh, we still have it really good compared to many others in the world. Yeah. No, I think that's, 
that's a, a great tie-in and a great explanation of, of what happened. The way I would describe it myself is like it kind of changes your, your frame of reference, right? And um, apologize to those of you that follow me on LinkedIn and see some of my wacky posts, but I recently just posted uh, Joe DeSena, who's the CEO of Spartan Racing, right? And they put on events where the, it, he says, our biggest responsible is, responsibility as an organization is social undistancing, right? Like we don't distance people. You have people helping each other up the rope climb and through the mud pits. And I mean, it's, a, it's, it's basically a, a, an international organization that does obstacle course racing. I think they do 350 events a year and all of a sudden COVID hits internationally. So it's not like he can just go yeah. to another market and work there. And he goes from sure. you know, 350 events a year to, I think he said, maybe we'll do 20 this whole year at this point. And just, I mean, screeching halt, you know, uh, numbers are, are not looking good. And they, they, because he's known as kind of the unbreakable guy, I mean, the guy did the Iditarod on foot, which is the race across Alaska that usually you do on the dog sleds. I mean, the guy is insane. If you read his story, he was just on Joe Rogan, taught a, told a little bit of story. I followed him for years and just loved the influence that he had on me. And he always talks about change your frame of reference. So he says, you know, when I did the Iditarod on foot, when I did this race or this race or this race, I got down to, I wanted water, food, and shelter. That's kind of his ism that he's known for. And he says, that's what we're trying to do is make people to bring them to that place where all they wanted is water, food, and shelter. And so, you know, he even says it during this interview series with them multiple times, something to the effect of it could be worse. Right. And I, as a person don't want to tell somebody who's venting to me who I'm being empathetic to, well, it could be worse, but he himself has, has been in multiple situations where it was definitely worse than even being the CEO of, I think, 350 employees and having to furlough and having to deal with all mm. these issues of a company. They literally are probably more affected by COVID than almost any other type of industry right now. And just seeing him do that, they put on a series called The Unbreakable CEO on YouTube. You could look it up or check my post. I posted episode two on LinkedIn. And it's basically just literally the camera crew following him around during the worst possible times of, <laughs> you know, of the worst year probably of the history of the Spartan race. And they had just bought beginning of the year at a high dollar price, or actually I think the end of last year, they had just bought um, a, a Mud Run, I think it was called, right? That other, their main competitor, they bought them at a high dollar price. He added like another 150 or some odd employees, I don't know, to his portfolio and then everything tanks, you know, so this guy's worst possible situation. And they're just trying to show like, you know, he's not immune, but he, he definitely is able to change his frame of reference so that he's going into every day kind of putting his best foot forward. And so sorry for the rant there. But you know, this is something since our conversation, I've really been diving into of, you know, how do we as those that hope to lead in this situation? How do we best approach that how do you how do you bring your best self to work and and how do you make the best of any situation including a situation like this where I mean, you literally have people that are like we can't pay our mortgage we can't pay our rent we 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 don't know what we're doing for groceries next month and there's really no end in sight for some of these people you know how do you how do you get through that and and i think it's it to me it just comes down to taking one foot putting in front of the other just the best choices you can make on a daily basis not being overcome with stress and anxiety and just making the best decisions you can given your circumstances. Right. And I think that's the best we can do in this environment. Yeah. I just appreciate each other a little more, show mm -hmm. a little more gratitude, you know, uh, having just come from Atlanta, uh, visiting a site with Dendrion down there. It was just so, uh, so amazing. Everybody was so positive, so appreciative. 
that, you know, the corporate dude came out from California and uh, a lot of thank yous and a lot of fist bumps and, uh, you know, get some good food. Um, so, you know, I think, you know, a little extra effort into, uh, showing that gratitude as a, as a way and just like really just the little things, you just got to start appreciating the little things, the extra efforts, uh, noticing and recognizing publicly when somebody, you know, pulls an all nighter or, or does a weekend project. Whereas before maybe you were too busy. Yeah, man, if you're doing, if you're able to do that now, it sure goes a long ways. Mm -hmm. So, so moving on then, you know, this is something you brought up, uh, you know, when we were talking about how to do the podcast of, and, and so I'm sure you have kind of some unique or even some specific things that you would think of that come to mind, but benefits, right? Employee benefits post pandemic. What are your thoughts on that? Where do you see some really important areas that maybe were just completely not considered in the past um, when we were in a, a pre-COVID world? And now that we're in the pandemic, you know, what things do you think employers should be aware of, should change, should take extra notice to, maybe tweak a little bit? What what comes to mind for you on that? Yeah, I'll tell you, you know, when you get in a room with leaders and you're the HR person and folks are like, well, what can we do? What do we have at our fingertips? What, you know, in a shrinking uh, resource constrained environment that most companies are going through right now, uh, the HR person is probably has the most tools at their fingertips and, and whether they realize it or not. Now, in, in some cases, you have great brokers and great partners that will help you realize it. And the amount of communication that I get from, you know, our better partners, is just invaluable of this is what other companies are doing. Here's a creative idea. This is how they're setting up, you know, what they're doing with their EAP or their wellness dollars, you know, EAP would be, you know, counseling and, and stress management, yeah. wellness, you know, uh, you can use FSA dollars to do 15 minute wellness massages. Uh, nothing like a nice 15 minute massage to break the stress down. Uh, you can take those wellness dollars and turn them into Fitbits or into, you know, free accounts for Headspace or Calm, which are the meditation apps. Phenomenal tools. Mm -hmm. I'm a big fan of, of those. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, there's so, so much that you can do. Many of the larger vendors, and, and we're blessed. We have some phenomenal partners, and, and, I'll, and I'll list them because I think I can. Uh, with Fidelity and Cigna, they, I mean, they, they pivoted immediately to have online, you know, virtual webinars. You know, whereas before, I would, I would like to get them out to my site to do the online, you know, financial wellness. Um, you know, how, how to tweak your 401k, you know, how to understand it, all that kind of stuff, how to, how to capitalize on wellness, what you can be doing as an individual and, uh, the amount of material that they converted quickly to be delivered via zoom or WebEx or whatever was really, really impressive. So kudos yeah. to those companies. Um, very beneficial others like Microsoft, the amount of little widgets and, and, uh, yeah. training videos that they pumped out so that we, we could all get good at. Microsoft Teams and WebEx, or yeah. in my case, uh, DocuSign as well. Those were all on our roadmap to get good at and to implement across the org. But, you know, they were at the bottom of the project list, and then boom, we all go remote, most of us, and suddenly they're critical to our survival. And yeah. so those companies, like the ones I listed, that were able to pivot for us so that we can survive, uh, huge, huge kudos to them. Yeah, no, absolutely. And so you touched on like EAP. I think that that was kind of the joke, right? I'm a benefits advisor. That's kind of the joke before because no one 
uh, we would always joke that no employee knows how to use their EAP or regularly interacts with their EAP. You know, someone's talking to you, oh, you know, I'm looking for after school care for my children. EAP actually is part, usually, if it's a good EAP yep. program, has the ability to facilitate that for your employee, but no one knows. And, and so I think EAP is one of the untapped resources nowadays. The one thing I do worry about is, you know, they, I think you staff accordingly for the need. And so my hope is, is that everyone's EAP program is staffing more for this overwhelming use of EAP, right? It was, it was, it was that thing that's included that most of the time employees don't even know about because it's, it's something that you don't need until you, until you need it. Right. And so I know that like we've done things where we'll put, we'll give out magnets to employees with their EAP, with a list of things that they can use it for because then it's on your fridge. And then when you need something, you might actually remember, especially as much as I open yeah, the fridge during COVID, you'll see it. And so mm-hmm. after a while, you're like, oh, I need after school care. And that's part of what's listed on EAP. And just trying to get that information to the employees is, is critical. And I think that's something that's completely untapped. And everything else that you said is great, of course. I'm, I'm animate when I'm talking to the finance side of the house. You can find dollars in your benefits program without harming the benefits your employees receive at all. Yeah. Um, yep. and, and there are absolutely ways to do that right now. I mean, uh, and that's actually with increased quality of care. They're going to see better doctors. There's, there's so much that you can be doing and you don't have to be that aggressive. And if you're HR, ask your advisors, Hey, look, when you come back with your renewal, we really want to see some cost saving ideas that you have and just put them on the line, make them go out and do the research. If they're at a great firm, it's already there. I mean, there's 50 people in my office that can cut costs in one way or another. Give them a little homework to do on that as well as they come up on the renewal, because there are ways for you to save money without reducing the benefits that your employees receive. So, you know, I would just throw that out there as being another important thing. As we start to round off uh, the conversation, and I know we have, what, two minutes, or, or actually, I think we've gone over in time, and I want to be respectful of your time. I believe it is also your birthday. Is that correct today? <laughs> it so, is. So happy is. birthday. Uh, you can say uh, the year or not, that's your choice, but... <laughs> Based on COVID nineteen, we've elected to not uh, not have the birthdays this year. Now it's I'm forty eight, not a big deal till I'm fifty. I'll celebrate when I'm fifty. <laughs> cool. Well, make sure you uh, enjoy that scotch and share it with your employees that you enjoyed the scotch and and smoke that cigar. You got and, it. And have a great rest of your year. You got it. Um, but Phil, Thanks, I, man. thank you so much for coming on the podcast. How would be the best way for someone to reach out to you? Maybe they're just inspired. Their HR they're coming up in their career, they really like the career advice you gave, you know, as much as you want to be available, what's the best way for you to be able to manage anybody that reaches out to you? Uh, Just for advice. Yeah, LinkedIn, Philip Dana. I'm easy to find on LinkedIn. I'm pretty much on there all day, all night. Perfect. Excellent. Maybe just in the connect request, you know, say that you heard him on the podcast because we were talking about how many connect requests you get. So don't just leave it blank. You will never probably get able to be connected with at that point. Um, and just for Say those you love Seahawks and hate the 49ers <laughs> and I, I will connect with that you. Would, <laughs> there you go. That's all you need That's to do. Secret. And for those of you listening on the podcast specifically, I always put a link in I'll, I'll, as I introduce in the show notes, Phil, uh, I'll say Phil Dana, that will be hyperlinked to his LinkedIn account. So there's really no reason not to, you could scroll down yeah. on your phone right now and connect with them. So thank you, Phil, for coming on. And, uh, you know, I really appreciate all the advice you gave in a spe- specifically such a, a crazy and difficult time. So I appreciate uh, thanks, Matt. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Cheers.